uh, it becomes uh, really, really personal. And so I'm nervous in a sense because, because of the seriousness of sin. But I don't want to add weight to you. You already have, you already have enough weight on you. There's already enough pressure. So what I'm anxious about is, is making sure that you understand, and I want to say this from the get-go, that there is a way to be forgiven of your sin. There is a way for your sin to be taken off of you. So as we talk about sin, and maybe a little bit of conviction comes upon you, like myself, uh, maybe a little bit of weight, you start feeling pressure upon yourself, and you begin to think, well, yeah, I'm convicted. I'm, I am a sinner. Uh, we, we need to recognize that there is hope, that sin can be lifted off for eternity. There is, there is hope for us. So I want to say that from the get-go. I want to make sure that you don't miss that, that from the beginning of this message from the Lord, that we understand that though sin is a terrible, terrible, gross sickness that causes death, there is hope. There is hope for us. There is a Savior who desires to forgive us. There's a Savior who wants to remove sin from us. So as we um, study this morning, my hope is that God would speak to us and that we would hear from Him and that because we recognize whose words they are, who they're coming from, and how important they are, we would be people who would respond faithfully to the text, respond faithfully to our God, confess our sins to Him, trust that He will forgive us of our sins, and live in obedience for Him. Let's pray. Can we help us this morning as we look at your words you gave to Paul and he wrote down a letter to the church in Ephesus? God, will you, would you speak to us? Not my words, but your words. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. God, that you may be honored this morning. God, at this time we know that as your word is presented, there is a battle going on for who's going to be worshipped. God, will you, through your Holy Spirit, prompt us to worship you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, as believers, uh, I would say, if you're like me, you are a great magician. And I say that, and I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm not a part of that sorcery stuff. Like, that's from, from the devil. Well, I say we're great magicians because we're great at hiding things. We're great at what we think, making things disappear. We're really good at pointing out others' faults and others' sins, and we do a really good job of saying, oh yeah, here's sin, this is what it is, but thanks be to God, I don't have any of that. I've never dealt with those things. And we act as a magician. Well, you know, magicians are just great liars because they're not actually, they're not actually doing anything other than creating an illusion making you think that they've made something disappear. But in reality, they're just, they just created an illusion. And as believers, often when it comes to sin, we can point and we can show faults, show others faults. And I'm really good at saying, oh yeah, here's where you're wrong and here's where you're wrong and here's where you're wrong. And I look at myself and I say, thanks be to God that I'm not wrong. you know. And I'm really good at hiding that and creating an illusion. The truth is we cannot make sin disappear. We, we have no power to make sin disappear. But only Christ can truly make sin disappear. And we, we have to understand that. 
There's a book titled, uh, It's Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. Uh, the whole idea of the book is, is making us aware of the fact that our world is broken and that what we're living in is not the way it's supposed to be. Like We have a longing, if you're a believer, we have a longing for heaven. We have a longing for eternity within the Lord's presence. We have this longing, this desperation. God, I want to be with you. I want to be in perfection. I mean, just this week as I'm uh, traveling through through the week and, and thinking and, and just uh, having this journey of life that we're all on and I hear of more sickness and more death and more disease and more addictions and more troubles and just the overwhelming thought of all that, Revelation 21 comes to mind. And I think about, Lord, I'm ready for that day when there is no more tears, when there is no more sorrow, when there is no more pain. I'm ready for that day when we live in joy forever, when we live with you forever, in right relationship with you forever. And this is not the way it's supposed to be. Though, like we mentioned last week, we often try and make this a playground. We try and make the most of the, of the opportunity here, and we say, uh, oh, this is not the way it's supposed to be and it's broken, but I'm going I'm to do my best to find joy in the moment. I'm going to uh, do my best to find joy in the situation and I'm going to think positively and I'm going to really uh, overcome this sorrowful, suffering moment. Uh, joy only comes in the morning through Christ. Eternal joy only comes through Christ. And I know I'm a preacher and I have to say those things, but that's the truth. If we try and find satisfaction in things of this world, we're not going to receive joy, ultimate happiness like the world would tell us that we're, we're longing for. Satisfaction only comes when we find that satisfaction in Christ. I mean, reality is sin is gross. I don't know other, another word to say. Like, that's contemporary. That's, my, that's what I connect with. But sin is, is gross. It, it smells. It's stinky. The Bible tells us that sin leads to death. But I wonder if we really, if we really accept that, if we really believe that. You know, oftentimes we'd say, "Oh, what's the cause of death?" You know, we call in the medical examiner and say, oh, "What's the reason? What's the reason for death?" And, and though we don't necessarily like to think of those things or even go to that thought. But we have to begin thinking about if the Bible is true and what God inspired Paul to write in Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. Like there's, a, there's a huge problem. Sin is a, a nasty, gross thing that as followers of Jesus, if we follow him, if we've said that and confessed that he's our Lord, it is our responsibility to be obedient and to allow him to continue to be Lord of our life and not let sin creep in. When we truly recognize the sickness of sin, when we truly begin to recognize the sickness of sin, maybe at that moment we'll recognize the seriousness of our Savior. And we'll see the reason why Sin is so gross and sin is causing death. And we'll see why God said, let me send my son to rescue these people. Every moment of every day we should see, like we've said a number of times since I've been here, 
we are in desperate need of our Savior. Not, not just one time, but all the time. We are in desperate need of our Savior to find satisfaction in Him because we recognize the sickness of sin and the seriousness of our Savior. Uh, think back to, if, you've, if you can recall this, Genesis chapter 3. Some of you have heard this before, but in Genesis chapter 3, we have two individuals, Adam and Eve. These individuals have been created by God in his likeness. We, we kind of say that they're the, they're the founding people, right? This is the beginning of, of our world. And God gives them some, some uh, parameters. He gives them a contract to follow. And he says, here's what life will look like if you follow my directions. If you're obedient to me and you don't rebel against me, here's what life can look like. And the grand... The grand thing about that was, in the garden there with Adam and Eve, God resided with them. A holy, pure God lived with Adam and Eve. But Adam and Eve were not satisfied in that. And so they rebelled. They chose their own thoughts over the Lord's thoughts. They chose their own ways over the Lord's ways. They tried to fill what they thought was a void and their feelings thought one way and they were tempted by their feelings and tempted by sin to rebel against the Lord and because of that, sin entered and separation happens. Sin entered the garden, sin entered Adam and Eve and separation between them and the Lord happened. And so it began that the world broke and it's not the way it's supposed to be. And we are still living in a broken world as a result of that. And God has given us, as we read backwards, in the, or you know, we read from the, from the back of the Bible to, back to the beginning, we, we have been given a way, the way, for our sins to be resolved, for the sickness of sin to be taken away forever. We have opportunity to have a relationship with a holy God again. But it only happens through His Son, through His Son Jesus. It's interesting, as you read Genesis chapter 3, uh, one of the things that Adam and Eve begin to notice in rebellion was their nakedness. Ah, we are we're naked. We're embarrassed of who we are. Though we have been made in the likeness and in the image of God, we are embarrassed by the way that we look. Their image changed. See, their image before sin, before rebellion, their image was in God, in His likeness, in who He is. And then when rebellion and sin entered, their identity no longer was in God. Their identity became in themselves. They began thinking about themselves. Oh, look how I look. I'm embarrassed at this moment. I need to hide. What can I do? Rebellion, sin enters the world. I mean, do we not still struggle with that today? Our identity? I mean, Paul's reminding us in Ephesians 1, 2, 3, and 4, your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. You were broken. You were not sons of the Lord. You were not a people, but now you are. Your identity is in Christ. We still try and rebel. 
and we try and find identity in other things. And those other things often are sin. The Lord would say in commandments, you know, have no other gods before me. Let, let me be the God and your God. And yet we rebel against that. We try and find other things to fill our life with. and Other things that will help our feelings that lead us to sin and rebel against the Lord. And find identity in other things instead of, instead of Christ. It is a struggle. Do not be fooled. Do not be lied to. I mean, Christians, surely you know by now, it is a struggle to be obedient to Christ. It is not easy. Praise the Lord He set up the church for a community of believers to struggle through the broken world together with the hope of Jesus to save them from the suffering world, to forgive them of their sins and give them hope for tomorrow. That we can have joy in the morning after suffering because we have Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But we have to be real with one another. We cannot be magicians anymore. We cannot live thinking that we can hide from sin or try and hide sin or give the illusion that we don't struggle with sin. If there was one person in this world that did not struggle with sin, surely God wouldn't have had to send His Son to die for us. For the entire world. If one person did not struggle with sin, surely he would say in John 3.16, I came to say everyone except for Matt because he doesn't struggle with sin. So, But everyone else I'm going to die for, but Matt, you're on your own because you don't struggle with sin. It's not the case. He came to die for the world because sin is a serious sickness, a disease that leads to death. We have to overcome that. We have to. And so when we get to Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul begins to talk about sexual immorality, covetousness, jealousy. Begins talking about idolatry and all those, all these things that he talks about in Ephesians chapter 5. We see a moment here where Paul is trying to remind us of the seriousness and the sickness of sin. Reminding us of, yes, walk in grace. Through grace you have been saved. And through grace you walk and grace sustains you. But do not forget about the seriousness of sin. It, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just being as real and open as I can. It is a difficult topic to talk about. Because we do not want to look inward. We do not want to say, I, I have fault. I, I am in need of forgiveness. Uh, we often just want to look to eternity and say, uh, Christ has saved me, and he will save me. But we forget about that moment of, he is saving me. The daily walk with Christ. In church terms, we call that sanctification. This process, as we're walking with the Lord, we're saved, we're going to be saved, and we're walking in his saving of us, and as he's making us holy and he's making us pure, that's where the that's where the struggle is. That's where Paul, like we talked about last week, that's where Paul would say, Ah, I'm so weak, but God, your grace is sufficient in my weakness. As I walk daily with you. So Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, we'll start in verse three together. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, we're going to read through um, probably verse 14. It says this. Uh, if you remember from last week, let me just recap a little bit. Sorry. Uh, if you remember last week, we talked about how important it is that we walk in love. We walk as Christ walked. And so because Paul, inspired by God and God being all full of wisdom, uh, he knows that, that uh, we need some direction on how to walk. So if we're going to give the instruction, walk in love, walk like Christ, and we read 1 Corinthians 13, and we read Matthew chapter 6, uh, and we get these instructions like, this is what love looks like, then we know how to walk. So, But what about the, the problem with sin? What about the fact that sin continually tries to creep back in, and that our rebellious minds continually try to uh, distract us from who who God is and what He desires of us. So we're walking in love, but what about when we when we take those missteps or we we get misdirected? What what about those moments as we're walking in this process of sanctification? What about those times when when life begins to be a struggle? What 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 should we be doing? So, verse three says this: But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper for the saints. So remember the garden with God, in right relationship with God, a holy God living among his people. Sin enters, rebellion happens. Uh, Because of that, impurity, unholiness happens. And so a holy God does not desire to be in a place of unholiness. And so because of that, he separates himself from unholy things. So then move forward to where we are today. We have access to holiness. We can be forgiven of our impurities through Christ. And so because of that, we ought not go back to the old to the old way. So that's why he says, sexual morality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. The saints, those who have been saved by God, those who have been impure, made pure through Jesus Christ, these things should not even be named among you. It's difficult because we're talking about sin and and we don't even really want to say, can of those three things right there, is there anybody here this morning that want that would want to admit or confess that one of those three things or all of those three things are in them at the moment? Am I a sexually immoral person? Am I impure? Am I a covetous person? Like we don't want to. I'm I'm gonna be real Harsh for a second. When I talk about those things, your head, body language, your eyes go down. You don't even want to look at me because we've been shamed so much. Because we're so embarrassed by these by these things. The world has taught us to be, uh, when we say the word sexual immorality, the world has taught us to be fearful of that. You know, we, we, we want to shy away from that, not even talk about that. Well, don't point fingers at me and my immorality or my morality or whatever. We have We have trouble with it. Paul is telling us, we're walking as obedient followers of Jesus. We need to be thinking about and mindful of sin and the sickness of it so that we can avoid walking in it. Okay, verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now, mind you, Paul is writing to a group of believers. Paul's writing to followers of Jesus. 
You would think if they've been saved, they saw Christ. Maybe they're first or second generation believers. But they, are, they can recall who Christ is. And maybe even some of them witnessed or, or firsthand heard about the crucifixion of Christ. And yet, moments later, look what crept back in. Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. I mean, those are the things you hear about. Those are the things you hear about on Navy ships, or pirate ships, or warehouses, or church staff meetings. Those are the place, those are the things you hear. Not in obedient followers of Jesus. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. When we're walking, we're not going to let sexual morality or impurities or covetousness be named among us. We're going to make sure that we're not speaking out of place. One of these things is not like the other. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. You claim to have been purified and you claim to be a holy person, yet your talk, your language does not, does not model that. Verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Why is that? Why would God inspire Paul to write that? That these people, these acts of sinfulness, have no place, have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Remember back from chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul told us because of Christ we have an inheritance. We, we can be adopted into his, his kingdom. Because of Jesus, we can be adopted into his kingdom and have this eternal inheritance. And now Paul is reminding us in chapter 5 that sin has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Impurity, unholiness has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. It, it would be like if we were to tell one of our adopted daughters, you are a part of our family. We have adopted you. We have given you a name. But as soon as you start doing these things, you're out. That's harsh. Come on, Lord. But why? Why would you, why would you be so serious about this? Because sin is death. When Adam and Eve recognized in rebellion and sin, when they recognized that their identity had changed and that they're naked, God provided clothing for them. And you remember how that clothing was provided? A sacrifice had to be made. If he, uh, Genesis chapter 3 tells us that he clothed them with animal skin. So when sin entered and rebellion happened, death occurred. I mean, if you think back to Genesis chapter 3 again, God says, look, you, you've rebelled and there's consequences for your rebellion. No longer will life be like it, like it was meant to be, but now it's going to be different. And I'm sure Adam and Eve were thinking, okay, he's talking about future things. So he, he's saying that when I have kids, it's going to hurt. He's saying that when I work, it's going to be tough. There's going to be stickers, you know, goat heads, whatever. It's going to be tough work. But he's talking about in the, in the future. You know, I mean, that's kind of how we think about it often. 
oh, my sin is bad, but thanks be to God that I may not even recognize how bad it is until I get to heaven. And I get to praise Jesus in front of him and say, oh, now I recognize how bad my sin was. Now as I look at your glory and I behold who you are, I'm recognizing in this moment just how bad my sin was. So, I mean, I can imagine Adam and Eve saying, okay, here's the new contract. Yeah, we messed up. We rebelled. But it's just going to be a little more work. And then Adam, who had been given the task to take care of the animals. I mean, anybody like animals? You know, he'd been given the task to take care of animals. In rebellion and sin, when they recognize their new identity and they need to be clothed, God sacrifices an animal. One that Adam had, had named. One that maybe he even grew attached to. And because of sin, death occurred. A sacrifice had to be made. I mean, that's when we talk about the seriousness of sin. I'm not saying that we need to be people who walk around constantly saying, sin, sin is bad, sin is bad, sin is bad, sin is bad. But we need to recognize that sin is so bad, that death, sin equals death, and the only way to conquer death is through death. The only way to be forgiven of our sins is through the death of a pure one, that would be Jesus Christ, so that we can be forgiven of our impurities and forgiven of our sin. And through that, we begin living daily saying, ah, thanks be to God for His grace. Thanks be to God that I'm not the one that's going to have to die in my own place. Thanks be to God that I have hope in a Savior who, who gives me forgiveness, freely gives me forgiveness that I just have to accept and live obediently, call Him Lord. When we recognize the seriousness of sin as adopted sons and daughters who have an inheritance now, we begin to look at and say, I want to continually have that inheritance. And so in this process of sanctification, daily I want to be a person who's saying, Lord, I need you. I needed you yesterday, and I'm going to need you in eternity. But I also need you in this moment. Because I don't want to be known as a person who takes you for granted. I don't want to be known as a person who just stumbles along through life and knows that sin is a bad thing and I shouldn't be doing it. But instead I want to be a person who recognizes that Christ is more than worthy of being obedient to. And Christ is more than worthy of me avoiding sin. Let's move on. Verse 6 says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. One of the things in student ministry that drove me the most crazy, still does actually, is when we would make excuses and we would say things like, boys will be boys. Or once they go to college, they'll, they'll spend their time in college and they'll probably rebel a little bit, but that's just part of life. And uh, at some point, they'll come back around. It, they just got to get it out of their system. I mean, have you ever said that? Have you ever known somebody that says that? You know, once they get it out of their system, then, then, they'll, then they'll be good. That's not biblical. You cannot get rebellion out of your system. It just doesn't work itself out. The only way to get rebellion out of your system is through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way to get it out of your system. Boys may be boys because they're sinners. We may be rebellious in college because we're, we're sinners. We can't get it out of our system once we graduate college. We can't get it out of our system once we have kids. 
We can't get it out of our system once we paid off all our debts. We can't get it out of our system once we reach a certain age. The only way to get out of our system is through the blood of Jesus and walking in obedience to that. That's difficult because, because then it's out of my hands. If I think there's a formula, I'm going to try and apply that formula to my life. If I think this will work, I'm going to do this and this and this. And I'm going to scheme sin out of my life. I'm going to come up with a greater plan. There is no greater plan. Christ is the plan. He is the only way to get sin out of your system. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the, of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Paul's trying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to remind us if you have been saved from darkness, do not, simply speaking here, do not continue to be dark. If you have been saved from darkness and brought into light, then walk in the light. I was at a store one time, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I think it only happens to me, but I was in a store one time, and there was a long line at the register. And uh, extremely long line. It went back several aisles, actually. And, um, and you know, you had those thoughts of, does, does the manager not know that there can be more than one register open at a time? I mean, what, you, you begin thinking, like, I don't have a business degree, but surely. I mean, I, I'm not a great manager, but surely I could manage this, you know. Uh, it's a pet store. I mean, people are just getting dog food. I mean, surely we could, we could open up some more, some more lines here. And uh, so line number one, I, you know, cash register number one, it's got the, the sign that says one, it's lit up, you know, and, and she kept yelling. And I'm so far back in the back, I'm like, I have no idea. Like you flash your light, do some Morse code, maybe I can figure it out, but I can't figure anything out. I don't have a clue what you're saying. So we creep up a little bit, you know, more. And, and finally you hear her say, aisle two is open, or uh, cash register two is open. Like, should, should we let everybody know? Is there a better way than just yelling at people at, Hey, cash register two is, is open. So like I, I recognize that, and I'm a person who, when you hear good news, you run to it. You know what I'm saying? I push people out of the way, whatever it takes. You hear good news, you're running to it. So the good news of the cash register being open, number two, so I ran over there and still had to wait in line just a little bit, but not as, as much. I'm looking back at the people, ha, huh, this was open and you guys didn't know. You know, anyways, so as I'm standing there now, I'm checking out. And the cash register lady number one tells cash register lady number two, we got to get your light fixed. Ah, oh, man, for real. Because when your light is on, people are going to know and they're going to come over here. But if you remain in darkness, and I'm like, I got to write this down. If you remain in darkness, I mean, that's, that's the world today. We allow sin to creep in. We think it's okay and we don't see the seriousness of it. Paul's urging us to walk in light. 
Don't walk in darkness anymore, but walk in light. And Some of us have covered up our light so much with darkness that people don't even recognize that it's on. And some of you are like, man, I've been on this earth so long, I don't even know if my light bulb's still working. They talk about LED lights today, and I don't even know what that means. I think that's some kind of drug. The truth is we have to walk in light. We have to recognize the seriousness of sin so that we can see the seriousness of our Savior. We have to come to a point where we say, sin is gross, but, but more than it just being gross and something that I want to stay away from, like a garbage dump or bad food from Taco Bell. We say, you know, that's a good analogy or what. But instead we say, sin just isn't gross and stinky and smelly. But instead, sin is death. And so because of that, our, our God has sent us a Savior. And we begin to see the seriousness of that. Our daily worship of Him changes. Our desperation for Him changes. I mean, when, honestly, when, when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, that we should let our light shine, our good works shine, so that others may see that and glorify God in heaven. Some of us take that and say, well, Christ has just told us to be good. Christ has just told us to, to be braggarts, to be people who are showing off. Well, the whole point of showing off the light is that so people recognize who the Savior is, so that they're no longer dead. But instead, they could be alive. We have to recognize the seriousness of sin so that we can worship our serious Savior. But how, right? That's what it always comes down to. Uh, it's good to say it. And Paul says, walk in light. You know, but we need those simple directions. I want to walk in light, but uh, I don't even know which way to go. You know, and... People start walking, say, walk, walking in light. Sometimes I think about that light at the end of the tunnel. And which way is that? Sometimes I want to avoid that. So, so how, how is that? It is a daily fight. It, it is a daily battle. There is a worship war going on. There are voids in our life. There are feelings that we have. And daily we try and fill them with things. And so Paul says, with your feelings, you might try and fill this void or this emptiness that you feel like you have. You might try and fill it with sexual morality. Or maybe you try and fill it with impurity or covetousness. Or maybe you try and fill it with crude joking or filthiness or foolishness. Maybe you try and fill it with darkness. But you will never be satisfied until you fill it with Christ. And so daily we wake up and we say, God, today I'm going to have feelings. And in those feelings, I'm going to be tempted to, to resolve those feelings or solve those feelings with things of this world. God, I know I'm desperately in need of you. So in those moments when I try and fill those voids that I think that I have with things of this world, God, would you remind me through your word, through your people, through whatever it takes, would you remind me of my need and desperation for you so that I can walk in the light, so I can walk in, in love 
as our example Christ did. Would you help me in? Would you help me in that? It is a daily battle. I mean, if you're a if you're an athlete, you're constantly training. If you're a farmer, you're constantly farming. If you're a soldier, you're constantly soldiering. Because you recognize there is no break. And if Christ is your Lord and He is a serious Savior, then there is no time off. This is not a playground. This is a battleground. And if sin, if the wages of sin truly is death, and we have been remedied of that through our Savior Jesus Christ, then surely He's worthy of us living for. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. We probably should say that over and over 